0: and welcome to another episode of rainbow road i am your host travis ryan's joining us again is our co-host mike Denineen. mike how you doing buddy i'm so good we're we're riffing it we're we're going off book today yeah there is no script uh normally we like to be very polished and propound but today we're doing something a little bit different mike why are we
1: doing that We're doing it because we have a bunch of uh, amazing clips from former guests who have been on the show, who have been so generous and kind as to uh, lend us their voice for the purposes of this episode, which I I wanted to say it's like a clip show, but I feel like a clip show would be like listening to clips of past episodes. This one's going to be more like listening to new clips from past guests.
0: Yes. And why did we invite our guests back to come and chat with us today and and send us uh, their little clips? Well, um, that's because we love them. Also, it's our one year anniversary, you dink. Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I I
1: didn't get you anything. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't get you anything either except disappointment. <laughs> that's not true. I'm not disappointed. I'm very, I'm actually very excited because I feel like I, you know, I love improv. I love improv comedy. I, I love improv improvisation. And I think that's just because by nature, I'm like a wildly unprepared person all the time.
0: Meanwhile, I am anxious out of my mind because i don't know what we're doing but it has been one year with 20 episodes Mm -hmm. later uh thousands of listens which has been just so cool and we are so thankful that we got to go on this little journey with everyone Mm -hmm. uh, and that we're going to continue to do that so we wanted to celebrate the people who made this show possible so we have asked folks to come back and tell us a little bit about their favorite characters from video games Mike, are you ready to listen to some clips? I am. All right. So first up, we have Andrew Orsi, who you might remember from the Dream Daddy episode, as well as our Explaining Kingdom Hearts episode. And yeah, let's just let the clip play. Let's see what happens. All right. Hello,
2: hello! I'm Andrew Orsi. I'm a gay, asexual gamer. If you really love my voice from this clip, you can check it out on such works as Good Game, Great Game, a now-dead podcast that has two years of backlog for you to catch up on. <laughs> um, or you can hear me sing with uh, Black to Gold. It's We're an acapella group. You can check us out at Black to Gold Music on Instagram. We've been putting out some bops, if I do say so myself. But that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about characters that are near and queer to our hearts. And when Travis first said near and queer to my heart, I have to say that my first instinct was Caden from Mass Effect, because he was my first video game boyfriend, and so he's mine forever. But there's actually a character that's been significantly more important to my development as a queer person, and that is Parvati Holcomb from The Outer Worlds. For those that haven't played The Outer Worlds, it's a game by Obsidian. Um, It's really similar to the Fallout series in terms of mechanics. It's not set in a nuclear apocalypse. This one is set in space in a future where McKinley was not assassinated in 1901. So Theodore Roosevelt never became president and did not do his breaking up of big business trusts. So now there's just mega corporations everywhere. It's really fun and great. We love that. Yeah, not. No.
3: (laughs) Anyway, you
2: essentially become recruited to be a part of the resistance to break up these corporations, and it's a choice-based game, so you have a lot of choices throughout. And like Fallout, you get companion characters throughout the game. And your very first companion character is Parvati. She's the town engineer of this little colony called Edgewater on the first planet that you're on in the game. She kind of follows you around and helps you on your quests on that planet. And then when you're leaving, she asks to become the engineer of your ship so that she can get out of there. And of course you say yes, because she's adorable and sweet and bashful and kind-hearted and wonderful. And frankly, of all of the companion characters in the game, she is like miles ahead of all of them in terms of like, who's the most interesting. So she's great. And then as in many of these kind of games, you get personal quests where you bond with your companions. Um, So it's a quest line having to do with them. Parvati's personal quest has to do with the fact that you visit another space station and she falls in love with the female engineer of that space station. They're kind of flirting in a really adorable way over like poems and emails and whatever. And you get to play space lesbian matchmaker, which is just a dream of mine, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) And throughout this quest line, Parvati ends up revealing to you that she's asexual. Now, she doesn't do it with like a giant neon sign over her head. She simply says,
1: You know I'm not interested in physical affection. That's, well, it's tripped folks up in the past. Folks, I thought, cared about me for me. What if she's not okay with that? What if she is, but then later, she's not?
2: Which I think is so clear and concise and wonderful. I don't even think it registered that she was, like, telling me she was asexual, but it resonated with me in a deep, deep way in terms of a lot of the concerns I've had in past relationships. And long story short, it started me on the journey of researching asexuality for myself, and now here I am, identifying as an asexual man. So if you had told 12-year-old me that a video game character was going to teach me the fullness of my sexuality, I would have laughed in your face, but it happened. And so Parvati stands to me as a testament of why representation is so important in media. As far as I know, the only other really ace character in video games is Maya from Borderlands 2, and I never played that series. So I didn't see asexual representation. I didn't understand what asexuality was, and I think a lot of people don't. So to have a character like this who can put it in such a simple term where it's still a character who wants affection, it it opened the world for me. And this is also a testament to why diversity in a writing staff is important. Um, Parvati was originally conceived by the writer Chris Latoile, who left, uh, Outer Worlds at a point, and then Kate Dollarhide came and took over to finish. And Kate Dollarhide herself identifies as asexual. So when she wrote this character, it was kind of a pet project where she was able to inject her personal experience. And look how much more beautiful it became. I mean, I just play this game Fall in love with Parvati like I did. Even if you're not asexual, you will fall in love with her. She's just wonderful. I I can't get over how important representation is and what a clear sign of that Parvati's existence is. So that's my character. Thanks for listening.
0: Well, that was really cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was really sweet. So have you played Outer Worlds, Mike?
1: No, and it's been recommended to me uh, by several people, and I still have yet to
0: play. Have you? Uh, Yeah, I have. I haven't played any of the DLC yet, but I have played the main game. I love it. It is shamelessly (laughs) anti-capitalist, and I love that. Uh, I don't want to, as Ashley Cooper would say, wax the game's car too much, but... uh, (laughs) because uh, i do want to do an episode on it at some point um but it is a lot of fun it was made by obsidian which is really interesting because they kind of made a name for themselves as like swooping in and doing sequels or spin-offs of series that other creators have started and they tend to do it better so it was really nice to see them tackle an ip of their own uh and do a great mm-hmm. job with it they did the knights of the old republic sequel they did oh, um okay. fallout new vegas so they're very familiar with the RPG genre, with um, mm-hmm. getting to make, you know, impactful choices. It's it's a really cool game. You should definitely check it out. And Parvati is so cute as a character. She's such a <laughs> sweetheart. Like Andrew said, like that that story is so beautiful. And you just feel so bad for her because a lot of her quest revolves around trying to find the perfect dress, trying to cook the perfect meal, trying to create this perfect date experience until eventually, if you have a high enough, I think it's perception score or something, Mm -hmm. you can call her on it and basically say, Parvati, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you trying so hard to make this so perfect? She already likes you. And she basically says that, like, I feel like I'm not worthy or valid because I don't offer up sexual contact, and I feel like I have to make every other aspect of the relationship perfect so that she sees me as worth it. Wow! And it's like it breaks your heart. It's really sweet. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad that Andrew uh, shared that with us, and I'm sure that means even more to him than it you know it did to me as someone who you know doesn't identify as that. So mm-hmm.
1: Andrew made the comment of saying like uh, the importance of uh, of diversity in writing. You know, that creates a, a I've talked about, it. I feel like I use this word a lot, but I said robust experience. Like it's very like, there's a yes. lot there. You know, we get to the, the the juicy bits of stories. Yeah, And that robust experience allows players to more readily connect to the story and in its own way becomes like this portal to uh, self-reflection, which is what it sounded like Andrew experienced playing this game.
0: Yeah, it wasn't even just about Andrew being Ace himself and thinking, "Oh, look, it's someone like me." He didn't even know at the time, and that kind of authentic representation helped him discover something about himself. Whoa, I think that's ho- ho- hold up!
1: Did you just say is it is Ace is that slang for asexual?
0: Oh yeah, if you never no, it's like um the the two slang terms are Ace and Arrow. So Ace oh, for asexual yeah. and Arrow for aromantic. I'm so surprised That's you've never come across so, that.
1: So I've never come across that, and and I do know several asexual individuals too. That's that makes sense though, because the there's one asexual individual. Um, you know, I have a friend who's and he, and he is quite the card. So I feel like that that <laughs> tracks. <laughs> Love it okay
0: so we should probably move on to our next clip which is from Mm -hmm. ashley park you will recognize ashley from tons of our episodes including mass effect life is strange uh queer romance hades she is a hoot and a riot and we love having her on and Mm -hmm. if we do an outer worlds episode uh like andrew had just talked about we are going to be definitely bringing on both of them i want both of them for that episode so Mm -hmm. yeah having said all of that uh let's dive right in
4: First off, congratulations on hitting your first year anniversary. This is such a fantastic project, and I felt really honored and amazed to have been able to participate. So kudos to you guys and keep going. So I told myself I wasn't going to talk about Mass Effect again, but here we are. (laughs) This franchise was one of the first games I seriously played and has meant a lot to me. I'm not going to tread over the same ground we covered in the episode, so suffice to say all of the Normandy crew are near and queer to my heart. And... These two characters that I have never forgotten. In Mass Effect 2, on Ilium, you can meet this Asari merchant named Ereba, who's being serenaded by a Krogan, who's reciting love poetry that he's written for her, trying to woo her back. It's this amazing, funny little encounter you can find, and I was so charmed by this big, gruff Krogan spouting this awful poetry like... Oh, blue rose of Ilium, let your roots dig deep into the hot soil of Tuchanka. <laughs> it's amazing. So you investigate and you find out that they are dating, but they're on a break. And now he's writing this to try and woo her and show her that he can be sensitive. You talk to her and you find out that she's worried that he only wants to be with her so he can have a family. Because Krogan can't normally procreate because of the genophage, but the Asari can procreate with any species. However, initially, he didn't realize that any children he has with her would be a sari only. And when you ask her about it, she says that he went quiet for a long time, then told her that he would love their girls no matter what color they were. And I tell you, I fell in love with these two idiots and made sure they got back (laughs) together. I was so invested (laughs) in them. And when I first played this, it did come across as a traditional, maybe more heteronormative romance. And I'm sure that when it was written, it was probably intended that way. But I've returned to this franchise multiple times over the years, as I've gotten older and had different life experiences. And sometimes I experience the same content in a new way. And what I found really beautiful about this interaction is that the Krogan is surprised takes the time to process, goes on his own internal journey, before coming to the conclusion that this relationship is still something he wants and will commit to. And that felt very genuine to me, more so than any kind of love is blind, no questions asked acceptance. And it also felt familiar and very queer, I think many queer relationships navigate this because for a lot of people, our queerness is evolving, whether that's discovering another aspect to our sexuality or maybe to our gender identity. There's this ongoing journey of redefining, better defining, and learning about ourselves. And so that's also an ongoing thing that we navigate with our partners, sometimes being surprised, reevaluating our expectations, and of changing and learning together. Anyway, there is an end to their love story that you can find in Mass Effect 3, You can find Char's body and he has the last message he leaves for his blue rose that you can then deliver to her. It's heartbreaking. This dumb little side quest I've been able to come back to over the years and felt relatable on so many different levels and in some ways that totally surprised me is very near and dear and queer to my heart
1: oh ashley ashley is an amazing storyteller wow and that reified exactly why we've had her on the show uh so many times i feel like i i figured out what we're doing with this episode while listening to that we're ha we're doing rain we're doing reading rainbow <laughs> this is reading rainbow we're doing reading rainbow right now we're doing reading rainbow road <laughs> the only thing we're missing is, is Levar burton but this is just I had this like flash to exactly what what was happening I'm just like oh this is anyways oh that that aside
0: my god that's so funny and I I feel (laughs) like if we were going to be reading anybody on this podcast it would be reading them to
1: filth so I am so glad that you came up with that that's great but I feel like that was very so it sounded like Ashley was talking about this this like very Ross and Rachel scenario in Mass Effect so I feel I feel again left out because I haven't played Mass Effect but maybe have you had have you encountered this same storyline yes i have um
0: they are just these side npcs that you come across like like they're so not the main quest you just you might come across them if you happen to see them on ilium she tells it beautifully because that's exactly what it is it's this wonderful little story of these two people who are trying to decide very adult things of like who do i want to spend the rest of my life with what does it mean to have a relationship to have a family to have kids She's right. It has this certain queerness to it, but also this certain, like, mixed-race relationship. Mm -hmm. Krogan are seen in the universe as these battle-hardened warriors. Their entire culture surrounds combat and martial Uh, ability. They're like the Klingons
1: of Mass Effect They're very similar
0: to the Klingons, yeah. Okay, Um, I, I can relate to this. So, yeah, picture, like, a Klingon reciting love poetry and telling his beloved that he will love his children no matter who they are or what they look like. It's really sweet. Oh, that is sweet. It's funny, because she mentioned something that I I guess I've been kind of wanting to bring up on the podcast for a little while, but I never really found an appropriate moment. But she talked about how our queerness evolves as, as we grow as people. I always thought of myself as a homosexual man. And over the course of the pandemic, I realized I'm actually much more pansexual. Mm. It's something I kind of knew as a teenager, but when I said I was coming out, everyone's like, oh, it's a phase. You'll pick one. And that, I guess I just kind of got that ingrained into me, Mm -hmm. um, especially because my attraction to women is very different than my attraction to men. And therefore I thought like, well, only one of these can be valid if they're different. So it I must be this one mm. um, because I knew I was queer. Mm-hmm. And I guess having a lot of time to sit and think and reflect and, you know, sit with myself during quarantine, is, that's something that I realized. And that's just something that I wanted to kind of share with the class. So uh, thank you, Ashley, for giving me that opportunity to talk about myself because I will always take it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah uh, I'm really glad to share that with us if you guys want to check it out uh, the Mass Effect remaster comes out in a couple weeks on May 14th it's all three games with all of the DLC included I will definitely be buying it because we know how obsessed I am and Mm -hmm. Mike once I'm done with my copy I'm going to throw it at you and make you play it one day
1: All right, no complaints
0: (laughs) so we can fire up the next clip which is from Kara Couture who just joined us for our Hades episode Mm -hmm. Uh, Kara is a drag artist and illustrator Uh, she does incredible stuff on stream you should all Always go check her out. I don't know who she's talking about, though, so I'm very excited to play this clip. Let's uh, let's uh throw it up. Let's go.
5: Hey, it's Keri Couture from the Hades episode, and I'm here to talk about um, a character who is very near and dear to my heart and a sort of queer awakening for me, in a way. And um, that character is the great fairy from Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> Bit of a story here, but growing up as a child of the late 90s, Um, My first video game that I ever played was Mario Kart 64, and being the stereotypical queer that I am, I obviously picked Princess Peach, and she was the only character I ever (laughs) played as. And my uh, parents decided that in order to get me to play a game where I wasn't playing a girl all the time, um, my dad was going to show me Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time and it was sort of presented to me as, look at how cool this guy is. You know, this guy Link, he's got a sword, and he saves the day, and he fights the monsters, and he's he's like an elf person, and look at all these weapons he has, and he has a horse, isn't that cool? I remember asking my dad what the little butterfly following him around was, and he was like, oh, that's your fairy companion, Navi. And I was like, wait, there's fairies in this game? And he was like, yeah, Mm. let me... He's like, actually, there's a a big fairy. There's a great fairy. Like, let me go show you her. (laughs) And I quite vividly remember him going to the Great Fairy's Fountain for the first time and seeing the lights, this sort of, like, crystal, color-changey, dangly sparkles on the walls. The color scheme, the music, you know, that plays like also on the main menu. It was just like an aesthetic that I was very here for. So he gets to the fountain, plays the ocarina, she has her little giggle. And then she laughs as she emerges from this mountain, just dripping in vines, angular features, huge makeup, big hair, all of this. And looking back at it now, I honestly think to this day that that moment was like my introduction to drag (laughs) and a big part of why I like it as much as what I do. Because of the fact that, I mean, let's just go down the checklist. The girl's got an entrance for one thing. She's got (laughs) giant makeup, a dynamic eye shadow shape, a look. When When she came out of the fountain... My dad was like, oh yeah, this is the Great Fairy. She's really powerful and she heals you after you get her initial, you know, whatever she's supposed to give you here. And I remember my dad was like, so do you want to play Zelda? And I was like, "I yeah, but can I be her about the Great Fairy? <laughs> like, that character of, of the Great Fairy from Ocarina of Time has become, like, a bit of a staple for me in a way. Like, my subscription and raid alerts on my Twitch channel... Are her different laughs from that game. And then on top of that, with Breath of the Wild, I feel like they took the drag effect of the Great Fairy, in Ocarina of Time in specific, and just like amplified it to the umpteenth power. Like she's got the big hair, she's got the big jewels, mm-hmm. you know, the personality, the makeup. They really went all out dragifying this character and just making her even more fabulous. And I think to this day that a lot of my aesthetic for for drag, both for my own personal drag and for how I illustrate drag characters, sort of goes back to my introduction to this character, who I, until recently, really didn't even put any thought to the impact that she was going to have on my life. So that's all I have time for today, but if you want to hear me rant and ramble, about all things magical, queer, drag, really anything under the sun, I will probably have an opinion on it. You can find me over at twitch.tv slash caricature. That's twitch.tv slash And um, you can find me over there three to five days a week. Uh, We're getting ready to start a makeup and illustration series inspired by Neopets fairies. So that's fun. And we've got all kinds of uh, really exciting things coming up in the next couple of months. So we would love to see you there. We have a nice, chill community. And I want to, once again, thank uh, Travis and Mike for having me on the podcast in the first place and inviting me back to record this little bit.
0: That was so cool. Yay. I I love love Kara. Kara, She's great. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Mike, this
1: is Zelda territory. This is your home turf. Heck yes. I'm here for it because 100% the Great Fairy (laughs) is, like, the most drag ever. And I never thought about it until right now. And I also love that Kara took the sound clips from the game to use as, like, the Twitch, you know, palette for, for their channel and stuff. That's great. I mean, Ocarina of Time, it's such an impactful game. You know, that harp that plays in The Great Fairy Fountain is like, inspired a whole generation of harpists. It's iconic. But, you know what, Travis, can you do... Have You've played, you played great, uh, Ocarina of Time, right? Yeah. Can, can you do your best Great Fairy Fountain laugh impression for us? Oh,
0: my god. Okay, so, Maddie can't <laughs> hear your half of the conversation, so they're about to be very confused. <laughs> <laughs>
1: how bad was that I I think it was so shrill I didn't pick it up like my mic my <laughs> earpiece didn't even pick it up <laughs> like I heard it like a half second uh, but Maddie I, is staring I'm, at me
0: so confused right now
1: <laughs> I look forward to hearing that on the recording when we put, throw this up so much uh, that'll be a little treat for, for me for sure oh fun <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, I mean it's a great game, and I understand why that was so impactful, and also it makes me miss drag so hard. But I guess RuPaul's is happening still, so that's a thing.
0: And there's still lots of drag streamers out there. You can check out Stream Queens, which is the team that uh, Kara is a part of. Yes, absolutely. She's such a riot. Every time I go in her to her room, she's so great. I also think it's kind of funny that like for a second I was so impressed and thrilled that her parents were taking. An active participation in her gaming that, like, oh, cool, you were noticing what she plays, who she plays as, and you want to be involved with it. That's so great. Mm-hmm. And then I realized it was to like quash her gender expression. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. oh okay, <laughs> never mind. I'm glad my parents stayed out of my gaming.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let it be your own path of discovery as opposed to having someone interject and, and sort of guide you in one way or the other, right? Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you very much for that, Kara. Uh, we can mm-hmm. now jump ahead to the next clip. Uh, our next clip is from Faustine Pelipel, uh, who joined us for the Final Fantasy VII Remake episode. Mm-hmm. She was so great. I we gotta, we gotta get her back somehow. I gotta figure out what game she wants to talk about. We'll figure it out. Um, all right. Let's throw up the clip.
6: Hi, my name is Faustine Plippel, and I'm a sound editor and sound designer for TV and film out here in Toronto. Today, I want to talk about my favouritest of favourite RPGs. And no, it's not Final Fantasy VII. It's actually a game called Legend of Dragoon. I'm excited to talk about this game because I've yet to meet anyone who's actually played this. (laughs) So here's a quick rundown of Legend of Dragoon. It was an RPG developed in-house by Sony Computer Entertainment. It was released in 1999 in Japan and in 2000 in North America. It was similar in animation as Final Fantasy VII, which means 3D character models against pre-rendered, linear environments, although it benefited from being a later release in the sense that its 3D models weren't as boxy or bulky, and its cutscenes are arguably prettier and smoother. It also had a turn-based battle system that featured some real-time commands that were really fun, and like a good number of RPGs out there, it was set in the high fantasy slash middle ages type of world, this one being called Endiness, where a group of heroes were attempting to stop the destruction of the world. Our heroes in Legend of Dragoon did this with the aid of dragon spirits, which allowed them to transform into dragoons, hence the title. A lot of people probably haven't heard of this game because it was released at a time where Final Fantasy and a lot of other JRPGs was dominating the RPG scene. It received mixed to average reviews that didn't really compare to the success of Final Fantasy titles, although its re-release on the PlayStation Network back in 2012 was highly successful, having stayed in the top 5 for 3 months. also had a pretty great soundtrack. I love this game because of its characters, its story, and its soundtrack, To be honest, most of the time, I just think about the game's early protagonist, Lavitz, and how the game made us fall in love with this kind, chivalrous, wholesome soul, only to give him a tragic, yet noble end, and to be replaced by a fairly noble, yet comparably less likable character. I just think about an alternate universe where Lavitz lives and saves the world alongside his best friend slash potential lover and leading hero of our game, Dart. Those who know the game know where I'm coming from when I basically admit to shipping Lavitz and Dart in this game, (laughs) whether intentional or due to quick translation work from Japanese to English. The interactions we get between Lavitz and Dart sometimes read like interactions between two lovers instead of a pair of best bros. (laughs) Either way, I ship it as friends or lovers. Also, the mysterious, stoic, and cold character named Rose in this game should have been an early hint of my queerness, and to peek into a pattern in terms of woman characters I would later on tend to gravitate towards. I'm thinking ladies like Lulu in Final Fantasy X, or even Lightning in Final Fantasy XIII. I'm a simp for the cool and the mysterious type I guess. Anyway, if you've heard of this game, played it, and loved it, Feel free to hit me up and talk about it because that would make me extremely happy. But also, if you're ever in need of a sound editor/sound designer for your game, movie, podcast, or other project, I'm always looking for opportunities to work with new people and to take on new and interesting ideas. If you're interested, you can look me up on IMDb under Faustine Plepal. Where you'll see a list of my TV and film credits, including some sound effects work on the latest season of Corner, some sound editing work on Winona Earp's last season, along with a long list of sound editing work, both sound effects and dialogue, for quite a number of movies and TV shows the last seven years. Anyway, happy anniversary, Rainbow Road. Thanks so much for having me on your show and giving me the space to nerd out about my favorite games. Congratulations, and can't wait for more! Oh, thank
1: you, Aww. Fastine! Thank you so much, Fastine. That was so nice. Mm-hmm. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, give uh, Give Fastine a shout if you got uh, some some audio needs. Yeah, no, she's fantastic at what she does. Um, mm-hmm. So, have you heard of Legend of Dragoon? You know, it's one of those games that I that I've definitely heard about because I'm I'm a sucker for an underdog story. Oh, okay, and it is definitely it is definitely an underdog game. Not not by a company called Underdog, but like you know, they're an unsung like as Faustine was saying. Uh, but no, I've, I haven't played it personally. No, and neither have I. I actually hadn't even heard of
0: it until she just mentioned mm-hmm. it now. Um, so that's something to go check out. It was a very enticing description too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like special gems of video games that you absolutely love, but you don't think anyone's ever heard of? Uh,
1: yes. Uh, we, I mean, that was true. Rez was an unsung, like one of my, it was like a weird trippy first person game. But then it, came back on the xbox and now it's on oculus where i think it should belong but it was it was like a dreamcast game that like didn't do very well but yeah not anymore people know about it now so okay um how about you um i can't even remember if i've
0: ever talked about this one on the podcast before but one of my favorite games it's not big on story it's not about that but um It's Pokemon Conquest. Whoa, I've never even heard of this. It plays like a a Fire Emblem game, like mechanically, but with Pokemon. Do you know which company made it? Give me one second while I look it up, because it's the company that made (laughs) Nobunaga's Revenge, which is also a tactics-based game based on Odo Nobunaga, who is this great samurai warrior um, from... Uh, the Sengoku Jidai period of Japan. Yes, I'm a bit of a weeb when it comes to samurai stuff, just because I really (laughs) love martial history. But I swear that's it. Um, So this is made by Koei Tecmo Games.
1: Okay, okay.
0: So yeah, it plays like a Fire Emblem game. You get six Pokemon that you can control on a map. Uh, The typing works very specifically into it. So like water type Pokemon can cross water barriers, like a river or a lake. Um... Ice-type Pokemon can safely travel across ice, whereas other characters would slip and slide along it. Um, Flying characters can go wherever they want. Ghost characters can move through enemy units. It's a really fun game. Every Pokemon is linked to their Pokemon Trainer, which is a famous samurai from the Sengoku Jedi period, like the Warring States period of Japan. So they mix in a little bit of, like alternate fan history of what would the warring states period of japan have looked like if they all had pokemon like it's really neat Mm. i have sunk probably hundreds of hours into that game over the years (laughs) i love tactics games Mm. i think this is our last clip which is from uh zach knowles who joined us for uh the romance episode that we did queer romance um very early on Mm. in the podcast Mm -hmm. uh and we still haven't gotten him back we gotta get him back all right let's listen to it
3: Content warnings for homophobia, violence, child grooming, and sex work, because I'm going to be talking about Jimmy from Fallout New Vegas. In the broken town of Westside, far from the bright lights of New Vegas, sits the Casa Madrid Apartments, a building from before the war that survived the dropping of the bombs and the subsequent nuclear fallout, barely standing up on the second floor at the end of the hall. Jimmy sits on his bed, waiting for his next customer. Marco, the proprietor of the establishment says, if you want rates for Poon, talk to the whores. Jimmy used to be a part of Kaisar's Legion, a unification of 87 tribes across the wasteland east of the Colorado River, a group modeled by their leader to be a second rising of the Roman Empire. When Jimmy was just a teen, his parents were murdered right in front of him, along with all of the adults of his community. Then Jimmy was taken as a slave. Shortly thereafter, a high-ranking official, a centurion, took Jimmy to be his attendant. He protected Jimmy, was kind to him, and gave him gifts. Jimmy doesn't tell you the details of their relationship, but he's quick to tell you how it ended. Homosexuality is illegal in the Legion, punishable by death. And even though they had never been caught, there were suspicions. So, on the night when the Centurion took Jimmy out into the desert, alone, Jimmy kicked him in the nuts and ran. (laughs) Jimmy never tells you any of this if you are playing a male character. He instead jokes about how you must keep a lot of tension in your shoulders and upper thighs. If you press him for his story, he tells you he'll be whoever you want. It's better that way. You're a customer to him. If you're playing a female character, you can learn his story, but he's not going to sleep with you. No matter how much of a smooth talker you are or however many caps you offer him. So, what is Jimmy's involvement in the main story? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) And hear me out because this is the best part. You can go through the entire game and never so much as encounter Jimmy. I never found him till my third playthrough. This queer character who faced trauma, slavery, child grooming, and now lives as a sex worker is just a character in this world. He doesn't assign you a quest. He isn't attached to anyone else's story. Jimmy is just a person surviving in this world. Yet for me, he's one of the most compelling LGBT plus characters I've ever seen. And there are plenty of LGBT characters in Fallout New Vegas. Some of your companions that you travel with, some of the NPCs, some of the enemies. It's just across the board. But for Jimmy, you don't learn where he's going. You rarely learn where he's been. You don't change him by just existing as a protagonist. He feels human. Jimmy is... One of hundreds of stories in Fallout New Vegas that build a world worth visiting at least once. So if you happen to go to the Mojave and find the Casa Madrid, say hi to Jimmy for me. Thank you very much for listening. I'd like to take the time to say congratulations to the entire Rainbow Road team for reaching the one year mark. And I'd like to thank everyone listening for supporting the podcast. Looking forward to future episodes, as always. I didn't introduce myself at the beginning. Whoops! Uh, I've been Mr. Kaboobly. I'm a full-time streamer on Twitch, you can catch me there if you like. Thank you once again for your time. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Thank you, Zach, a.k.a. Mr. Goobooly. G- yes, Mr. Goobooly. Mr. Goobooly. Uh,
0: he has a stream on Twitch where he often plays very challenging games like Cuphead and things like that. And every time he fails or dies or whatever it may be, uh, he forces himself to do a series of push-ups or pull-ups or some kind of brutal physical task as punishment
1: for failing. <laughs> Whoa, really? That's awesome. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of love that concept. Yeah, it's really cool. I love that th- this is like another, it's another underdog situation but it's yeah it's an, not just not an underdog game it's, it's an underdog character mm-hmm. and it's like just a, an off the beaten path sort of thing you know what uh, do you think of that travis yeah
0: i as much as i want queer representation in the forefront and for it to sometimes be unavoidable for the cisats. god you you will experience this i i kind of love the idea of like the queerness of being so unnoticeable in a large busy world that doesn't care about you (laughs) there is something queer about that Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i think it's it's a tragic story but it's also a beautiful one at the same time um and i think it's i'm really glad he shared that with me because i'll be honest i started fallout new vegas didn't love it even though everyone tells me how amazing it is same i should go back and try it again and i can because it's on xbox game pass right now which means that if you have game pass you can just fire it up for free which is really cool
1: boom Um. (laughs) accidentally advertising for microsoft did you get your vaccine is that why
0: (laughs) no i haven't for those who don't know we live in ontario which means we might never get a vaccine at this point
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh But yeah, that definitely made me want to also play Fallout New Vegas uh, and helped me to realize that we've had some amazing storytellers on this show. Yeah,
0: we really have.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, Zach, that was so good.
0: Well, that was everyone we had heard from. We uh, put out feelers to all of our lovely guests from over the past year. Unfortunately, everyone is super busy right now. So we only got a couple of them. But we're so thankful for the folks who sent us stuff. Thank you so, so, so much. And now I think we'll just take a little time to talk about ourselves because I don't really think we ever do that much on the podcast. Like we we tend to talk about the games we're focusing on, but we don't really have like a section at the end where we're like, hey, this is what we're doing lately, that kind of thing. Mm. So uh, Mike, what's going on with you
1: lately? How's your life? What's going on? Uh, you know what? Good. I feel like I'm reflecting on this past year. It's been a year of doing the podcast. It's been a year of acting and film and television for me Mm -hmm. uh right now i'm splitting my time between working on star trek and the expanse i feel like i've tried to move myself towards this place of just enjoying life on a day-to-day basis instead of yeah i think that so many of us were like living for the future you know putting so much stock in like once X happens, like, I will be happy, you know? Yeah. I just need to live for today. I need to live for the moment. And I think that trying to ground myself in the present and being not only grateful for, you know, the things I have in my life, the amazing people that I have or have encountered, like, all of our guests, our wonderful guests that have been on the show or the pleasure of doing this with you Or, you know, my loving and supportive partner who is like very patient with me. Just sort of trying to strive towards that direction, which is not always easy when you build a life of of habit and routine that that aims you in in another way. So just trying to orient myself in in that way. I know I keep coming back to gratitude, but I always feel like it's a good place to come back to you of just being really thankful for for life, I guess. And and yeah. How about how about you, Travis?
0: So yeah, I mean, it's been a year of self reflection, I think is what I'd call it. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I already mentioned earlier how I discovered something about my queerness. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I have also been thinking about my career a lot. So I work in film and television at the moment as an assistant director. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like middle management for a film set. Each assistant director has different responsibilities and duties. But overall, it's there to make sure that everything is running as efficiently and smoothly as possible, that every crew member, every cast member knows exactly what is expected them at all times. uh, Because every second wasted on a film set can be hundreds of dollars down the drain. uh, And the seconds just keep ticking by. Um, It's a lot of responsibility. It's very challenging. I enjoyed it for so long. But having time to take off, because I've never taken this much time off from work before, really made me think about honestly filmmaking is a bit of a cult yeah you get normalized into how like the hours that it takes to do these things like I would regularly work about 14 to 16 hours a day Mm -hmm. sometimes longer yeah not uncommon yeah and for ADs we're expected to be working that entire time on our feet where there's this motto of ADs don't sit we're we're not supposed to be sitting which is just unbelievable so ableist uh, amongst other things there's a very abusive and toxic atmosphere for assistant directors the position was originally created for military commanders to have something to do after the war and to get, you know, a hundred different artistic types to fall in line and do, what's, do what they're told. Uh, so since it was started by people who were former military, that attitude has carried on to today. And it is not uncommon for one of my worst bosses, you know, not because it changes every show, but you know, some, some people are lovely and wonderful to work with, but some of them are just abusive and toxic and will call me an idiot and will say that I'm... Stupid and not thinking, and you know I'm useless and I'm costing production money. Oh yeah, no, this is totally normal. That's that's crazy. That's not acceptable. It's not. It's not, and it's accepted as part of the culture. Um, Wow. I'm starting to realize that I'm done with it. I think I don't want to pull those kind of hours anymore. I don't want to work in that kind of atmosphere. As much as I love so many aspects of it, I, I don't see that love anymore. I just see the frustration and the exhaustion and things like that. Wow, that's a big, ch- that's a big change. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of making moves elsewhere. Um, I have a lot of different options available to me right now. I, I could go into teaching because that's part of what I do. I, I teach with a program called uh, POV Third Street. I often do guest spots as a production mentor to help uh, their students. Um, they teach filmmaking to marginalized youth. So I, I try to help them with their projects, uh, which is really cool. Um, so I might go into that vein, or one of the things that I've been considering is uh, games journalism. I think that would be a lot of fun. I think it's something that plays well to my skill set. So
1: we'll see. I don't know. Totally. and you—you'd be great at that. You're—you're you're a great writer, honestly. And and you're—I mean—you've got a lot of skills. You're very talented. So I feel like you'll be able to find something that. Meets your needs um, emotionally at the very least, because wow. I mean, I mean, your background—you've seen some of the way ads talk to background before. It's not pleasant. treat uh, yeah, <laughs> them and like you know what? Sometimes. And and that definitely seems like a like a kicking the dog situation too. Like I I definitely have compassion for people who are coming at me because I feel like I'm like oh you know this isn't coming from nowhere like this is this is coming from someone who's a who's above you and now you're just sort of, sort of passing the buck. So I try to make. Myself, the point of of stopping, we're like, okay, I'm not gonna go home and like yell at my cat, you know, but I'm just gonna understand that, that this person is coming from a shitty perspective. Yeah, uh, but that's a big change. That's a that's a huge, and you know what? And I think it's very appropriate too because this episode we've had a lot of people talking about self discovery. You know, there it's about expression through the game, through characters, through narratives, and then reflecting on those narratives and and sort of how that plays out in our own lives cuz you know we're all the hero in our own story right yeah we've you know we're looking back on this past year and now we're looking forward to like what comes next for us what comes next for the show what comes next for our lives what comes next for humanity if you want to get really like big about it yeah uh we could go even bigger and say what comes next for the universe but like i don't think any of us have that (laughs) answer (laughs) but uh, just to sort of bring it back to to us and our community it's a it's a really cool place to to be at uh, on the precipice of change and i think you are well equipped to make that change and i you know i i support you i think that yeah, everyone Everyone who knows you supports you. And and I'm, I'm grateful for everyone who has supported the show. And, and yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that I get to go on this journey and that I, I get to go on this journey with, with you for Rainbow Road and with all of our listeners and that uh, we get to see what's ahead of
1: us. Uh, I, I can't wait to find out. I really can't. Mm-hmm. And if anyone has any video game journalist gigs for Travis... Uh, You can find him on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) You can't
0: find me on Instagram. That's the problem. I don't have an Instagram. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Never mind. You can find him on Twitter for sure. Uh, And you know, it's funny. People have asked me like, oh, like, what's your what's your show's social media? And I always feel like a jerk because I'm like, I think it's Rainbow Road Pod. Well, we're actually in Twitter jail at the moment. What did you do? I don't
0: know. Like, it did a thing where it said uh, there's been some suspicious activity. Oh, no. Why have you been suspicious? I I don't know. I'm trying to get us out of Twitter jail right now. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Hopefully we have it done by the time this episode releases. There's also a thing called shadow banning, which I've heard is a thing. If you do something weird on social media, you can get shadow banned by the powers that be i don't know it's all weird and convoluted to me but uh yeah if anyone has any uh video game writing gigs please uh email travis or find him on twitter <laughs> yes please i i am not uh i'm not above plugging
0: myself for any possible opportunity so please yeah i'm gonna plug myself after the show oh 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 my miss mr Janine. <laughs> i don't oh mind. what
1: would that even mean i don't even know it just sounded dirty i just want to say it <laughs> Okay, I think it's, I think this is a good point. Now that we've reached this, point this up, right, up, I think we need yeah. to wrap it up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us for this past year and these past 20 episodes. And here's to another great year, another who knows how many episodes. Uh, and as LeVar Burton might say, we'll see you next time. This has been Rainbow Road. If you liked this episode, follow us on Twitter at Rainbow Road Pod, or get in touch with us for future episodes at rainbowroadpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.